Today on Sexually Woke with Dr. Susan, I'm publishing our new YouTube show called Ask Dr. Susan Live that you can find on my YouTube channel, Dr. Susan Hardwick-Smith, or through my website, drsusan.com, D-R-S-U-S-A-N.com. Hope you enjoy it. Hi, and welcome to this week's episode of Ask Dr. Susan Live, where you can submit a question to ask me live. We'll be calling some of our ladies shortly to have them ask their questions to me live. And you can do the same thing by submitting a question to drsusan.com. That's D-R-S-U-S-A-N.com slash ask. So if you have a question about anything to do with midlife wellness, uh, midlife sexuality, hormones, that's my business. That's what I do. So you can submit a question. We'll uh, contact you and see if your question is going to be one that we can use on the show. We hope that it will be. So uh, our first caller today is named Kim. So Kim has a question for us. Hi, Kim. Hi, Dr. Susan. How are you? Um, I'm good. How are you today? I'm doing great. So uh, tell me what your question is. Um, thank you, by the way. And my question is, can hormone replacement therapy cause cancer? I was watching The Housewives recently, and Erica Jane's husband is in uh, big trouble for misappropriation mm-hmm. of funds um, out of, uh, you know, his trust account. He's a lawyer. And they, it was the quickest mention, but they said there had been a class action lawsuit Um with women who'd had cancer and hormone replacement therapy. And I thought, goodness, you know, I thought in today's day and age, it was safe to have this treatment. And I was just getting up the courage to go find someone to help me. And now I'm like, well, maybe this isn't such a great idea. So yeah, well, that's such a common question, such a great question. So thank you for bringing it up. Well, um, as you know, you can sue someone for just about anything. Um, as one of my friends says, uh-huh. if you follow the money, you'll find the answer. So uh, we've talked about this a, a little bit on uh, my podcast, but uh, the short version is uh, that the Women's Health Initiative study, which was a huge study, 27,000 women, that was published back in 2002, started a scare that all of us heard and most of us believed, including me, that hormone replacement caused breast cancer in particular. So uh, that study was actually stopped early in 2002 because the drug company that was paying for it got nervous, understandably, and thought that there might be an association between some of the uh, hormones and breast cancer. Well, interestingly, they actually followed those patients for 18 years. And long story short, in 2017, a second paper was published showing there was no increased risk in breast cancer in the patients who took estrogen. Now, uh, there's a lot more to it in that particular study. They were using the product called Premarin, which is not what we use now. You know, now we use uh, bioidentical estradiol, which is the same as what we make in our own bodies. But even Premarin, which is an awful chemical that comes from uh, horse's urine, does not cause breast cancer. So that big scare, and I heard it too, it was actually on the front page of Time magazine. It was published everywhere. Stop taking your hormones. Hormones cause cancer. There was so much media um, misrepresentation about that that all of us, including physicians, just believed it for most of the past 19 years. That's a very old study. It's 19 years old. So that's where the breast cancer scare came from. So now we know that estradiol, 
which is the bioidentical estrogen that we use in modern hormone replacement that you would be offered if you went to see a doctor who specialized in hormones, if you came to see me, is neutral for breast cancer. That means it will not cause breast cancer. It won't prevent it either. It's neutral. Now, another really wow. cool thing is that testosterone, which I recommend, uh, you know, using all three of the hormones that our ovaries used to produce, estradiol, testosterone, and progesterone, testosterone actually is beneficial for breast cancer. So it's a real 180 that doctors and everybody, like the public, have to make in their minds to realize that actually hormone replacement, if given the way that we do it now, actually could reduce your risk of breast cancer rather than what we've believed all these years. So it's a hard thing to do to unlearn something because I was the same for years. I told patients that estrogen caused breast cancer because that's what we were taught from that study. It turns out that was not actually true. And so there have been many, many studies done since then. Uh, so, you know, years ago, when we were still living in that world of fear about cancer, there were lots of lawsuits. So just say you were taking estrogen and then you got mm -hmm. breast cancer, you know, doesn't mean that they were related, right? So the thing is that one in eight of us get breast cancer throughout our lives. The great majority of us did not take hormones. The great majority of patients who have breast cancer did not take hormones. But, you know, if, if you get breast cancer and you started taking hormones last year, naturally with that media yeah. attention, people are going to sort of put those two things together. So um, let's talk about breast cancer, which is really the cancer that led to all of this uh, upset. Um, one of the things that happens is sometimes we'll take a little bit of truth and then just expand it. So rather than the concern that was initially raised, which is, hey, maybe estrogen causes breast cancer, which turns out we know now it doesn't, but that was the question. It turned into hormones cause cancer, like much bigger statement, like all hormones cause all kinds of cancer, <laughs> which, uh. you know, that's just sort of the way our minds work, right? So we talked about breast cancer, which is really what the big concern was about. But it is true that taking estrogen by itself, which nobody would do this, by the way, if they're well-trained, but if, if you were given estrogen by itself without progesterone and you had not had a hysterectomy, that can increase the risk of uterine cancer. So that's a true fact. And that's why we don't give estrogen by itself. So... That's not where the concern is coming from, though. But we do know that estrogen by itself can increase the risk of uterine cancer. Other than that, uh, the concern was really about breast cancer. So absolutely go ahead and make that trip to see your doctor. Uh, hormone replacement, if given in the way that we're talking about, is not only safe, but I often say I don't worry about the risks of taking hormones. I worry about the risks of not taking hormones because, uh, you know, without the hormones, we lose our vaginal moisture, um, sex can become painful, it increases our risk of osteoporosis, Alzheimer's disease, colon cancer, lots of other diseases. So um, not only can you feel better, but it actually improves your quality of life as an older version of yourself. So, wow. Yeah, that's an awesome question. So what do you think you're going to do? Oh, I'm definitely going to go get some help. For sure. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, I think I'm at the beginning of it, um, but the mood swings, um, the, uh, I'm, I'm about to turn 52, but, you know, the mood swings, I'd say, are the worst. And also just ache. I hurt um, yeah. getting closer to my period. I just start hurting all my joints and I, it's terrible. 
Um, there's uh, some brain fog. Those are some it's classic symptoms. Yeah, and I'm, I'm yeah. really interested that you mentioned joint pain because that's a very common symptom as we approach menopause. Believe it or not, I've had uh, more patients than I can count on one hand who have been treated for rheumatoid arthritis or other diseases that uh. they did not have when simply they needed hormone replacement. And they were treated with you know, serious uh, IV chemicals you know, for for a disease they didn't have. So uh, joint pain, certainly we can have rheumatoid arthritis and other things, but if these things develop right around the time of menopause, kind of walks like a duck, it quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck, it probably has something to do with hormones. And joint pain is a really common one. So it's very likely that will just disappear. And if it does, great. You know, of course, if it doesn't, then you would proceed to look at other reasons. But, um, yeah, mood swings, brain fog, joint pain, that's some of the biggest ones right there. And, you know, what's really sad about this Women's Health Initiative study, which was a real disaster for women's health, the women in that uh, particular age group, um, you know, including like my mom who's in her 80s, because uh, the average mm-hmm. aged woman in that particular study was 65. So women in their you know, 50s to 70 who were taking hormones back in 2002 stopped their hormones cold turkey because, you know, everyone thought it was so dangerous. So now they're getting to be in their 70s and 80s and they're developing osteoporosis, Alzheimer's. Most of them haven't had sex in a long time because they've got vaginal dryness. So their quality of life has been, you know, really um, detrimentally affected by the results of this study. So, I mean, I, I kind of feel like we owe it to that group of women who really were guinea pigs for us to see what would happen if we took everyone off their hormones. That's what happens. Wow. Um, and it's not good. And and we don't want to no. be, I'm 54. I, you know, you and I do not want to be 30 years from now with Alzheimer's, osteoporosis, Ooh. all of those things, right? So, Thank goodness. You look fabulous. Yeah, thank you. You don't look thank you. Oh, you look wonderful. My goodness. Well, it's, hormones are good for your skin. And your, <laughs> <laughs> just your general Jim, feeling of well-being. Right. I um, need well, them. I need them now. Yeah. I mean, other things, honestly, it, it's true. Um, we talk on uh, my podcast quite a bit. It you know, helps manage our weight. It helps improve our quality of life because if your moods are better, you just look better, right? People want to be around you if you feel happier and more balanced and you're sleeping better and you're having a nice sex life. And yeah, it makes you look better and you feel better. <laughs> so sure. it's like a, a win, win, win all around. So yeah, that is such a great question. And the when people, when women come to talk to me about hormones, that is frequently their first question. And, you know, I want to do this, but I know it causes cancer. So let's just talk about that, you know, and actually it doesn't. So uh, we'll get the word out and start educating more women and hopefully you'll feel better soon. I can't wait to hear. Oh, I I can't wait to call. I'm calling in the morning. (laughs) Oh, that's wonderful. Well, good luck. Keep me posted how that goes. And if you have another question, you know how to submit it to uh, drsusan.com slash ask. Thank you so much, Kim. Thank you. Have a great day. I appreciate it very much. You too. So, yeah, that is a good one. That's a good one. We've talked about that a lot. Hormones and their risks or perceived risks. And so, you know, we'll keep talking about it. You know, nothing is completely risk-free, but taking bioidentical hormones is pretty darn close. Um, And certainly all of the things that Kim asked are questions that many or most of my patients have as well.
So while you're thinking about that, there's a great book that I recommend uh, to go over this whole history of how estrogen got such a bad rap uh, based on that study. It's called Estrogen Matters. So check it out on Amazon. It's a great book. It goes through all of the science about why estrogen is safe and good for us. So Estrogen Matters, I highly recommend it. So our second question is coming from Anna. Hi, Anna. Hi. Hey, how are you? Uh, what's your question I'm, for me today? Uh, yes, uh, my question today is, at what age do you think a woman should start testing or even inquiring about her hormones? Can I ask how old you are? Is this about you uh, or in I, general? Well, it's kind of in general because that was my very first question when I asked myself. And I wasn't quite sure because I didn't have any symptoms and then come to realize I do have all the symptoms, but just wasn't mm. showing them on the outside. So I was yeah. wondering what's a good age. Yeah. Well, so that's a, you know, we're talking about perimenopause, I think, because, you know, when we go through menopause and we've stopped having our period and we're having hot flashes and night sweats and all the things, it's, it's pretty obvious at that point. But um, I'm guessing you're talking about before that. Uh, so perimenopause is, is a really important time that's often overlooked. And I was similar I, when I was perimenopausal. I thought, well, I'm just fine. I, I Maybe I'm just getting fatter. I'm not sleeping as well. I'm just getting a little grumpy. Maybe it's because of the kids or maybe it's because I've been married a long time or maybe it's because I'm working too hard. And all of those symptoms could be, you know, written off one at a time because those are all true things or maybe it's because of COVID. But when we're perimenopausal, we do start to have symptoms that can be subtle and you might be in that situation. And so, you know, I think I was taught and uh, many of us were taught really not to bring that up. I mean, you'd go to the doctor and and maybe right. you would bring it up and they, they'd just say, well, you're just fine. Uh, there's nothing wrong. And, you know, all, all the things I said, maybe you just need to go on a diet and do some meditation and some yoga and all that's a good idea. But definitely uh, if you're noticing changes and you're over 40 or even over 35 for some of us, we are experiencing hormonal change. So we don't suddenly go from having perfect hormonal function to having none overnight. Uh -huh. Well, rarely. I've met one or two people who did that where they were having periods like clockwork and they just stopped. But usually it's a quite a few years where our hormones are declining or changing. And that's okay. causing us to not feel good. So what's the best age? Well, it varies. A, bit, a typical number, and there's so much variation here, so just... Uh, take that with a grain of salt a little bit, depending on your situation. But the average time to go through menopause completely is 51. That means we're not making any hormones at all from our ovaries. We have stopped having periods without estrogen, zero. You know, that's the end of menopause, 51. So when does it start? Well, that varies. But for most women, or, you know, in our 40s, we're starting to have some hormonal change. And it's interesting that the three hormones that we make from our ovaries, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, they don't all decline the same way. So during our 40s, our estrogen is going to stay pretty high till close to the end, but our progesterone will drop. Even in our 30s, our progesterone will drop. Our testosterone just slowly declines starting from about age 25 to 30. So when we're perimenopausal, progesterone and testosterone are often going to be you know, symptomatically causing us some issues like mood swings, sleep, weight gain, losing muscle, losing sex drive. I don't know if any of that rings a bell for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah. then later, 
when our estrogen drops, that's when we stop having periods altogether, hot flashes, night sweats, vaginal dryness. So they don't all kind of stop at the same time. And so I think it's really important to look into that, um, get a head start on figuring out what's going on with your hormones when you're perimenopausal. So I love it when patients come to see me when they're 40. And, you know, maybe they're not in a straight up crisis yet, like my patients who are my age, 54, <laughs> but they're, you know, they're getting educated. They're wanting to get a head start and get ahead of the game and know what to expect and to get educated. And that's an amazing time to start because then you can avoid a lot of these problems that, you know, if we wait till right. the problems have set in, then we're trying to fix something rather than prevent it. So I'd much rather prevent it. Right. So what right. you mentioned, you're having some symptoms. What, what symptoms have you noticed? Well, I noticed the symptoms that I had um, were like um, couldn't sleep very well, some weight mm. gain, loss of libido. Yeah. I never had hot flashes and I always associated hot flashes. Well, oh, I must be menopausal, but right. I never had them. But I had been experiencing these things beforehand and I just thought it was, you know, life stressors, you know, I'm work too mm-hmm. much. I stay up too late. I, yep. you know, I don't get enough to exercise and things like that. And then those were kind of some of the trigger things that got me to inquire about it. And then sure enough, I had been experiencing that because of loss of hormones. So, yeah. Well, um, I, I just think that's so, yeah. so interesting because I, you know, it just goes to show how, how many of us go through the same type of thing. Cause I was giving you this, um, hypothetical scenario, right? And sure enough, you had a whole bunch of those exact things, which are the same things mm-hmm. I had and that most women have. Uh, insomnia is a terrible one, right? And then feeling like we're getting right. a tire around the middle when we're not doing anything different with our nutrition, all the things you mentioned, sex drive, all those things. So yeah, I mm-hmm. totally agree with you. We can, we tend to, I think our culture just sort of blows those off. It's like, well, you're, you know, you're just getting older. You're in your forties. So that's normal. And just, um, don't worry about it. Go, you know, go see a psychologist or go, go take an antidepressant, which is the worst one because that's not the cause of usually the cause of the problem. So I feel like we get a little bit invalidated. Don't you? Our doctors often are saying, well, there's nothing wrong. You're fine. Um, it doesn't feel fine. Yeah, I think it's important. Yeah, I think it's important. I, and the reason I asked for that is because, like, my mother went through some of the, the changes, and she she passed, so she really didn't get to go to hor- hormone uh, menopause. And so I didn't get to a- ask her those questions, so I didn't really know. And then things that I experienced younger than my mom, and then my daughter has experienced some things younger than me. Mm. And so I was like, okay, maybe you need to get tested in your 30s or 40s. And so I, I'd like to pass that information along. So I, this is a great, you know, well, discussion good, here. Good for have. you, because this is the, you know, our generation, and you're probably a little bit younger than me, but our generation is hopefully going to be the one that will sort of break this taboo silence about menopause and perimenopause. Because my mom, you know, she's in her 80s now. We didn't mm-hmm. talk about menopause when she was in her 50s. Right. It was, uh, you don't talk about it. I remember her acting um, a bit crazy when she was around 50 because I was a teenager, <laughs> but we sure as heck didn't talk about it and she didn't get any help. And uh, women our age were not educated. I was, a, you know, even as a doctor, I had minimal education about menopause as a gynecologist, believe it or not. So, and when I think about that compared to what teenagers are taught now about, um, 
what to expect with their period or even about sex education. Mm -hmm. And they're just getting so much education. My teenagers felt so prepared for for their uh, puberty. They were like, oh, we've mm-hmm. got this. We, we know all about it. Um, we need to have something like that for women in, when they're 40, <laughs> you know, to exactly. prepare us for exactly. menopause, right? Because it's just... Exactly. That would be great. <laughs> yeah. We, well, we, we're working on it by doing things like this. So I think that's wonderful. If you can yeah. learn about it yourself, you know, start the process early, get educated, and then, you know, pass it to your kids. That's fantastic. Pass it to your daughters, and yeah. then they'll be much more prepared than we were. So... That's a really good question. Well, I don't, thank you. I don't think it's ever too yeah. early, honestly. But um, you know, if you're if you're 25 or 35 and you're having a period every 28 days and you're feeling great and energetic and everything's just rocking along, you know, you're probably just fine. But when we notice those <laughs> things changing, speak up. You know, and if you don't get um, validated or listened to or by your physician, find another one because you deserve it. Um, and right. I think too exactly. often doctors are, and, and I was myself in a traditional practice and we had 10 minutes and you, you know, you just don't have time to really listen to these mm-hmm. kind of concerns. So you've got to find someone who's really going to listen and give you the time and not just sort of blow you off and say, oh, you're fine. Cause we know when we don't feel fine. Right. We, we know our own bodies. So, um, right. Yeah. Well, good, good for you. And okay. this will, this will educate a lot of other women too. So thank you so much for the question. Yes. All right. Well, thank you so much. Have a great afternoon. Okay. You too. Bye-bye. Yeah. That makes me think about just so much lack of education and mostly on behalf of physicians. So hopefully in medical schools and residencies, we're getting a little bit better at uh, teaching our physicians how to manage uh, female hormonal wellness. Uh, Because I can tell you for sure, when I was doing my OBGYN residency, I didn't get any education whatsoever. It was like maybe one day, you know, we learned just the very basics, but nothing about how to treat it, um, which is really tragic because that leads us to tell people that there's nothing wrong with them. So that was a great question. I think we have another question from Jill. Do we have Jill on the line? Hi, Jill. Hi. How are you today? Doing great. So I, I hear you have a question for me. What can I do for you? Thank you, Dr. Susan. Uh, I have a question about women that are struggling with hormones that are premenopausal. So here's my question. For women suffering from PPD, are there specific hormone tests that they can take and treatment that they can do to regulate hormones? Kind of in summary, I want to know, like, I know so many young moms who suffer from PPD. So and po- postpartum ed- depression, just for those who don't know. Yeah. Okay, so postpartum yes. depression, yeah, terrible. Mm. So postpartum depression. I know mm. so many young moms who suffer p- from postpartum depression, and they're given like anti-anxiety or antidepressants. But could the root cause be that their hormones are out of balance? And if so, can doctors test and treat these hormones to help be- overcome the postpartum depression? Yeah, that's a really good, great question and a really complicated one too. Um, so I, I, pra- I don't do obstetrics anymore, but I did for many, many years. I delivered babies for over 15 years. And so very, very familiar with postpartum depression. You know, what a terrible um, disease that is. Uh, Dis-ease, lack of ease, horrible. And right now, I've had complete, they're healthy, like they're healthy-minded. And it has just thrown them for a loop. And they're in the midst of this right now. And 
so that's kind of who why I was asking because mm. it just seems rampant that young women are struggling with postpartum depression now in greater proportion than ever before. Yeah, and I, I, that may be true. I wonder, um, and it may also be just that we're talking about it more, and thank goodness, um, as obstetricians, we're asking more questions about it. Thank God. I think uh, perhaps the now mother's age group, nobody asked, which was horrible. But yeah, as you know, postpartum depression's got so many facets to it. Um, we're exhausted. So sleep deprivation, which makes our cortisol go up, uh, can make you feel terrible. Um, we feel inadequate and overwhelmed because we've got a baby that maybe we don't feel completely equipped to take care of. I can tell you I certainly felt that way when I had my three. Uh, we may not be getting as much support as we need from our families. On top of that, uh, sleep deprivation and chronic stress does a number on our neurotransmitters in our brain. There's also just the fact that some people are predisposed to depression. So there's multiple factors that can lead to postpartum depression. But one of them is hormonal, for sure. Um, so I, I, this might not be a popular statement, um, but one of the very few reasons that I ever recommended that women think about stopping breastfeeding was if they had postpartum depression. So I don't know if the women that you know are breastfeeding, but this is an important point because when we're breastfeeding, we go into a temporary menopausal state. We basically stop. We're not ovulating. Our ovaries shut down. Our estrogen's very, very low. I remember when I was breastfeeding, I had hot flashes and night sweats. I had symptoms that I, I developed again when I was uh, you know, close to 50 because our estrogen is very, very low. We can have vaginal dryness, pain with intercourse. It temporarily makes us uh, have a, be in a menopausal state. So if a patient has postpartum depression and they're breastfeeding, certainly some of it can be hormonal because we know, you know those type of hormonal changes can be you know, really devastating for moods. So I don't think that there's a, it's not a one size fits all type of a question. There's not like one hormone that can make postpartum depression better. I wish there was because it's such a complex situation. Uh, I would absolutely still recommend uh, antidepressants and psychotherapy and all of the things that we currently use. Uh, but I think there is a, there's definitely a, a lot to be said about looking into how we can, um, replace depleted hormones. For example, if a patient's breastfeeding, first of all, breastfeeding is wonderful. I mean, I want us all to breastfeed for a year. That would be fantastic. But not if we're suicidal. I mean, that's not going to help the baby. Um, you know, so we've got to sort of think through, you know, what's the, sometimes we have to pick and choose. So I, um, when I was practicing obstetrics, would frequently, you know, suggest that that would be something to let go of. Uh, not only because our hormones will be restored, but also because just another stress. I mean, sometimes breastfeeding can be incredibly stressful. I mean, sometimes it can be incredibly joyful. So, you know, it's just something to consider. So, uh, That's if we're a really good point, also women, you know, that are working and breastfeeding have to pump. So that's just one yeah. added, you know, so hard. stress yeah. factor. Right. I support breastfeeding. Absolutely. hundred percent. But I was counting the days with mine. I had, I had put some rule in my mind, you know, we have these self-imposed rules. Um, on Planet Susan, I had to breastfeed for six months. You know, I was going to try a year, but I had six months on the calendar and that date was the date I stopped because it was, it was so hard. I mean, I felt so much better when I stopped and all, you know, all support to women who want to breastfeed longer. But if you're struggling with depression and it's just another stressor, you know, it is something that you can think about letting go of. 
And when our periods come back, because um, as most of us know, when we're breastfeeding, uh, if we're breastfeeding, solely breastfeeding, breastfeeding every three to four hours, we often are not going to have a period for a year or more. So in that time, our estrogen's really low. We're not releasing eggs. You know, we're definitely in a state of hormonal depletion. So it is something to consider. So I think uh, to your point, there's not um, one hormonal therapy that's going to help every single woman with postpartum depression. But, you know, of course, a woman who just had a baby is still in the fertile age group. Now, she's not going to be someone who's perimenopausal, most likely. So her own hormones are going to be just fine if we let them return because she's young, assuming she just had a baby. So yeah. letting yeah. letting her own hormones come back, which might require ending breastfeeding, um, could be part of the solution. And I say part of because it's not the only thing. Um, you know, so obviously this is a potentially life-threatening situation. So uh, using antidepressants, which are not my favorite drugs, but, you know, there are times that we need them. And I'll share, I took antidepressants when I was uh, postpartum with my twins for a short time. Um, you know, it's no shame in that. We we need to do what we need to do to take care of ourselves and our babies. And I also stopped breastfeeding <laughs> at six months. So that's a really good question. Um, I know it's it's so hard to watch people suffer and, you know, wish that they could uh, be well. Is there any standardized testing that they can do? Like, um, you know, what are my hormone levels now? And that would help aid their, you know, um, their doctors in determining if they need supplemental hormones of some sort? Yeah, that's a good question. So I, I'm just going to, um, again, assume that these are young women, young, younger younger than me, women, because they just had a baby. So the assumption is if they're still in the fertile age group, that their hormones are going to be just fine if they're not being shut down by breastfeeding. So if a patient's breastfeeding and she's not having a period, we don't really need to check her hormones. We kind of know what they're going to be. Her estrogen is going to be really low. She's not making any progesterone. Probably doesn't have any testosterone either. I mean, that's really a temporary menopausal state. So in that case, you could... um, really make the assumption more just based on the patient's uh, symptoms. Okay, you having have you started your period yet? How many how many times a day are you breastfeeding? Things like that. So checking hormones in that case probably isn't very useful. They'd pretty much turn out the way that you would expect. Uh, now, I know yeah. a woman who's having periods again and her cycles have come back, if she's still suffering with depression, less likely to be a hormonal issue. I think just as a broad there's so many variations, of course, and everybody's different. But uh, if she's having a period again and her hormones have kicked back in on their own and she's still suffering with depression, probably not a hormonal issue in that case. Um, it's, it's just multifactorial. There's so many factors that contribute, aren't there? You know, and it's it's such a hard thing to watch. Um, thank God it's temporary. And we pray yeah. that it gets better quickly for these women that you know. That's so interesting. Well, um, that's good to know about the breastfeeding. I'd never even thought about that or heard about that. So um, I definitely will pass that on to them. Yeah. And it's hard to say. It's like almost like I feel like I'm going to get struck by lightning, you know, to suggest stopping breastfeeding because, you know, it's great. Breastfeeding is wonderful. If 
you're in a, a situation where you're feeling good and you're enjoying it, but it can be incredibly stressful. It can certainly exacerbate depression. It can mess up your sleep. It can wipe out your hormones. So breastfeeding is fantastic, but babies will be fine without it. Um, and if, if yeah. you need to stop, then you need to stop. Just give yourself a break. We can't do everything. And honestly, I think part of this, um, perhaps part of the reason why we're noticing more postpartum depression, again, this is a bigger topic, but just this crushing idea that we're all fed that we're supposed to be able to do everything perfectly. You know, we're yeah. supposed to have this beautiful baby, get no sleep whatsoever. Maybe we're even returning to work, have no hormones in our system, and then breastfeed every three hours and, and be happy. <laughs> Like, yeah, <laughs> I don't think that's realistic. I mean, something's got to go, right? So, yeah, we need- and I agree with you. I'm mean, a huge advocate mm-hmm. of breastfeeding. Um, you know, the one gal that I'm thinking of, I know that she's produced a lot and has a lot stored, and so that might be a good option for her. Good for her. Yeah, not many of us can do that. So, yeah, just yeah. an idea. You know, and I never tell anyone what to do um, when it comes to breastfeeding or anything else, but. Um, you know, certainly if somebody's struggling with depression, that that could be a, that could possibly help. Well, I appreciate your insight and I trust, I trust your, your wisdom in this because uh, you, you have worked in the OBGYN section for so long. You know? I've been so, there as a patient too. It is not, yeah, it's not, absolutely. not fun. Yeah. And, and you had twins. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> nursing twins. Yeah. Oh I barely goodness. remember. But yes, well, I got through it. Thank goodness. So they will too. But uh, thank you. That's such an interesting question. I actually haven't thought about that for a long time, but I'm glad you brought it up. And um, have a great afternoon. I really appreciate you submitting your question. Thank you. Thanks for um, hearing me out and just um, helping. I'm going to pass your information on to my two friends that are struggling with postpartum depression. So. Thank you. I hope it helps. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. So if you have a question that you'd like to submit for the next Ask Dr. Susan Live show, you can submit it to drsusan.com. That's D-R-S-U-S-A-N.com slash ask. We'll review your question and see if we can call you up to be on the next show. Can't wait to see your questions. We'll talk to you soon. Mm -hmm.